Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bolton eBikes podcast. Today, I just got done filming a YouTube video where I tested out some different strategies for improving the range of my electric bike. Every single thing I did was free and cost nothing at all, but the range increase at the end was pretty significant. So if you want to hear how that test went and what happened, stick around. This is the Bolton eBikes podcast. Thanks again for coming back to another episode to hopefully learn something about electric bikes. It was a lot of fun doing a test because I had to actually go out and ride the bike because that's why I do this, because we get to ride electric bikes at the end of the day, whether I'm fixing something or working on something. At some point of working at Bolton e-bikes and owning an e-bike company, sometimes I get to actually ride bikes. And today was one of those days. Now, I have known for quite a while how to extend range in a whole bunch of different ways. You know, we've talked about all the technical stuff like bigger batteries and different motors and different types of motors and gearing and all that fun stuff. But sometimes it's good to just sit back and figure out how can we change things as far as our techniques and how we're riding and how we're maintaining our bike in much more simple ways that don't require buying anything. And so that's what I focused on today. So I'm going to share with you seven tips on how to increase your range while riding your e-bike. And all of these are completely free and they're things that you can do today. You don't need anything extra other than what you already have as long as you have an e-bike. And that, I think, is the best part about this. If you're getting 40 miles of range today and you feel like you wish you had a little bit more After listening to this episode, you're going to know how to get 50 miles of range out of your bike without buying anything. So let's start with number one. I'm going to start with the most obvious and also probably the most helpful because this tip works whether you're thinking about it or not. And I wish all of these were like that, but not all of them are. Some of them you got to think about while you're riding. But the first one is about tire pressure. And once you pump your tires up to the right pressure, it doesn't matter how hard you're trying, it's always going to work. And that's the great thing about this. Now, there are some articles and things if you look online that say, oh, pumping up to the maximum tire pressure or close to it is not always the most efficient thing. And that deserves a little bit of an explanation first because there is some truth to that. But as a general rule... The closer you are to the maximum tire pressure, usually the harder the tire is going to be and the smoother it's going to roll. Now, where there might be a definite exception to that is if you're doing a lot of off-road trail riding, because if you're going up a hill or, you know, even on a flat trail, depending on what is on the trail, you want to have enough traction that you're not just spinning your wheels on occasion. And that's basically the point where you have a diminishing return, whereas you need to have enough traction that you're not slipping your tires because that's a waste of energy, whether that's you putting in the energy or it's the motor on the bike putting in that energy. Basically, check your tire pressure 
make sure it's at the optimal setting for your type of writing. Now, if you don't care about range as much and you want more comfort, you can always go a little bit softer on the tire pressure. That's one of the great things about fat tire bikes is the pressure is so low and they ride so smooth and so comfortably. But even a fat tire at maximum PSI, for example, on the test I was doing today with the Cheetah bike, those tires that come on the bike are only rated for 20 PSI maximum which is really low compared to a a mountain bike tire, a typical mountain bike tire or road bike tire, which might be anywhere from 50 to 60 PSI up to over 100 PSI. So even at the maximum of 20, very smooth, very comfortable ride. So check your tire pressure. If it's a little low, top those tires off, especially if you're going to be on road and you don't need to worry about traction too much. The bike's going to roll a little bit easier. It's going to coast further. It might even go a little bit faster, but that's one thing that as soon as you do it right before you start riding, you don't have to think about it anymore. It's just done, but tires do slowly leak air, it seems, or temperatures change, so that is something you should be checking on a regular basis. Now, next, we go into things that take a little bit more work. I'm going to start with the things that are more like the tire pressure, where you can kind of adjust or change it once, and you don't have to think about it too much more after that. Second one on this list is going to be weight. Anytime you reduce weight, you're going to increase efficiency. Now on an electric bike, we normally don't worry about weight that much because you got a motor. But if you really, really are trying to maximize the range on a particular ride, then take a look at your tool bag, your saddlebags, whatever you have on your bike and see what are those things that maybe you do need and are necessary, and what are those things that aren't. I've seen some people carry a crazy amount of stuff on their bikes, just everything including the kitchen sink, and you don't need all of that. I think you should have a patch kit, some sort of pump. You should have some basic tools for sure, and you know maybe you have some other safety items Maybe you've got a a cell phone in case you need to call somebody, things like that. Those all make perfect sense to me. In the video, just to kind of illustrate the point that you can carry too much stuff, I had both of these saddlebags on that Cheetah bike just completely crammed full of extra tubes. Way, way overkill for what anyone would need unless I was trying to ride that thing all the way across the United States, which is not at all what I was doing. So weight is, like I said, one of those things that once you do it, you don't have to think about it anymore. So what are some ways you could cut weight out that wouldn't affect you? That's something to consider. Maybe you have some certain tools. Maybe you carry an extra battery all the time and you don't need it a certain day. Well, if you don't need it, then you don't have to take it. Of course, if we're maximizing range and you have a spare battery, you should take that. But I'm thinking about, you know, tubeless tires or different styles of tires. Maybe you have fenders on your bike, but you never actually ride your bike in the rain or through puddles. That's not a huge difference in weight. But if you start calculating all of those little things, they can add up. And I will say, if you're in an area where there's lots of hills, that's where the weight is going to play a bigger role and make more of a difference. If you're on flat ground, it's kind of not such a big deal because the example I like to think about is imagine you have 
say five extra pounds of just junk in your saddlebag that you don't actually need to take with you. If you go on a ride that has a thousand foot climb up a mountainside and you just took five pounds with you, you have to carry that five pounds up a thousand feet. And that takes a pretty substantial amount of energy. So weight, it's kind of on the the lower list as far as what actually makes a difference. I think it's going to be a very, very minimal thing. However, once it's done, you don't have to think about it anymore. And in theory, reducing weight can help increase your range slightly. Now, number three, this one is also minimal, but all of these little things add up. But number three is going to be the lockout on your suspension. Most suspension forks, not all, but most will have a lockout switch or a lockout button. And often people ask me, what is it for? (laughs) And to be honest, the way most people ride and what they're looking for is comfort. It doesn't really matter. Most people aren't even going to use it based on how I see them ride their e-bikes. You're going to want your full suspension travel, whether it's a front fork, a rear shock, both. You want those working so your ride is more comfortable and your ride is better on rough terrain, but it can increase your range if you use the lockout. See, when you're pedaling, and especially when you start pedaling harder, you are pushing on the pedals, you're pushing on the, the cranks, and basically you're, you're using your weight to get things moving, and that suspension will compress. And if you haven't paid attention to this, next time you go for a ride, if you have a front suspension fork, stand up on the pedals and give it a few hard pedal strokes and watch what that front fork does. And you're going to see it bob up and down just a little bit. That bobbing up and down is taking some of that energy, not all of it, but some of that energy you're putting into the pedals and it's putting it into an up and down movement of the fork, which is not moving you forward. So the reason the lockout is there is so you can lock out that fork so it doesn't move at all. And that way, all of that pedaling motion or more of it is going into your forward movement and not into your suspension. And the same is true for the rear suspension. This was a particularly big problem on early mountain bikes that were full suspension. They would just bob up and down on the climbs like crazy. And a lockout was just extremely valuable especially in racing. But when it comes to an e-bike, it's just one more little tip that you can use to increase your range. So tire pressure is going to make, I think, a big difference. It's easy to do. Weight, I think, is going to make a very small difference. It's not hard to do if you're carrying extra stuff around. If your bike's already pretty minimal, then I probably just wouldn't worry about that. Lockout, very, very easy to use. Just use it if you have it. And if you don't, Don't worry about it. Now, beyond these three things, we start getting into techniques. And what I mean by that is that these are not component-related. They're not weight-related. These things are all involving how you're riding the bike. This is like, how are you driving your car? Are you stomping on the gas? Are you easing on the gas? All of those things are true for electric bikes as well. And the first thing I think is going to be the biggest difference depending on where you're riding your bike and how you're riding your bike. If you have a lot of stop and go type riding, 
say you're riding in the city and you have a lot of stop signs, traffic signals, that sort of thing, this is going to be a huge difference. If you get going and you don't have very many stops at all, this might be further down the list. But that is pedaling from zero miles an hour up to your, what I would consider your cruising speed. Now, on a typical electric bike, you have different pedal assist settings, and usually there's a a zero or an off. But what do we do normally if we're just out having fun on an electric bike and we're at a stop sign and we want to get going quickly? Well, we use the throttle or we get full power on and we get up to speed nice and fast. It's fun, right? That's part of the fun of an electric bike is feeling that power kick on and just make you feel like Superman from the get-go. But is that very efficient for your range? Well, no, not at all. It's, it, that's probably one of the worst things we can do for range is using all of that power. And if you have a display that shows the wattage you're using while you're riding your bike, pay attention to that. Watch the wattage when you hit the throttle from a stop and get up to speed. What you're going to see is a huge jump in the power draw from zero miles an hour. And as soon as you get up to a higher speed, let's say you're speeding up to 20 miles an hour, and that's how fast you're going to go, because that's what you should have if you got a throttle with a class two bike. But you're going to see a big jump in power right at first. And then as you get closer to 20 miles an hour, that power draw is actually going to come down a little bit. So you're not using the most power at your top speed, you're using the most power when you're accelerating up to that top speed. So a huge burst of energy is required to get you moving from zero up to 20 miles an hour. Now, what if instead of using the throttle, you were to pedal your bike up to the speed you're comfortable cruising at and then turn on the motor? Well, that could result in a huge savings in battery power and would extend your range quite significantly, especially if you have a lot of stop and go traffic. Now, in a way, you are just exchanging, if you will, your own pedaling power for the power of the battery, but it's definitely going to increase your range. And personally, I don't think it makes that much of a difference as far as your physical exertion because you're doing it in very short little intervals. It's not like you're trying to pedal harder all the time. Most people, if you try this, can do this and do it for your entire ride, and it's not difficult at all. Now, if you need a little bit of help, instead of starting off in a pedal assist four or five, turn it down. Maybe you start off with a one and get up to speed. Maybe you enable a soft start function. Some bikes have the ability to be programmed And instead of having all of the power kick on immediately all at once, you could program in a soft start so it eases the power on. And that would also give a similar effect. It's not going to be as drastic as just pedaling, but it's going to be helpful. So there's a few different ways you can go about this, but basically minimize the amount of power that you're using from zero miles an hour up to whatever speed you're going to ride at. Now, we have to talk about the speed that you're riding at. Are you cruising around at 20 miles an hour, 25, 30? Because most know that the amount of power it takes to go faster is not linear, it's exponential. And if you haven't thought about that before, 
Think about it this way. If you're going 10 miles an hour, it takes a certain amount of watts to keep you going 10 miles an hour. Let's just pick a number. And I'm making this up right now. This isn't a specific bike I've done this with or anything, but this is just to give you an idea of how this works. Let's say 10 miles an hour requires 100 watts on a certain electric bike. How many watts would it take to go 20 miles an hour, twice as fast? Real quickly, you might think, oh, well, it's twice as fast. Instead of 100 watts, it's going to take 200 watts. But no, it's not going to take 200 watts. If it takes 100 watts to go 10 miles an hour, it's going to be an exponential number. So it might be 300 watts. It might be three times as much power to only go twice as fast. It might be four times as much power to go 25 miles an hour. Basically, the more speed you want, the more you got to use your battery to get that speed. So a very, very simple thing you can do to increase your range, although it requires a lot of restraint, at least it does for me, is to lower your average speed. So it's going to take you a little bit longer to get places, maybe. But what are you typically riding your bike for? Probably you're doing it for fun and enjoyment. So being able to ride it longer, not only duration-wise, but longer distance-wise, is not a bad thing, unless for some reason you're in a hurry. But today we're talking about maximizing range. Let's assume time isn't as much of a factor. Slowing down just a little bit can increase your range, and that can be pretty significant. Now next, there's one more thing that's regarding how we're using the power, and this one is definitely the most technique-intensive, I should say. It requires the most work. It requires the most brain power, I should say. It doesn't require more work physically, but you do have to think about it more. It does take a little bit more practice. If you're riding with a group, it may not be very practical, but it works, and it works very well. This works on flat terrain, and if you have varied terrain, it takes a little bit more work to, like I said, brain power work to do this. But this is something called a pulse and glide. This is very common with hypermilers. That's a term used for people that like to take their gas mileage to extremes in their vehicles, in their cars. Or maybe it's their electric car and they're trying to extend their range and their electric car as well. So what is a pulse and glide and how does it work? Basically, there is a certain amount of power it takes to maintain a certain speed. So let's say you want to ride at 20 miles an hour. We know it takes a certain number of watts to maintain that speed. How many watts does it take to maintain 20 miles an hour down to 10 miles an hour if you just coast? I know that's a little bit weird to think about, but how many watts does it take? Well, it doesn't take any watts. It's it's free. (laughs) If you're at 20 miles an hour on flat ground, You let go of the throttle, you don't pedal, you don't do anything, and you just let the bike slow down to 10 miles an hour. That portion of you rolling forward didn't take any energy at all. It took some energy to get you from zero up to 20 miles an hour. We already talked about that, and we know that. If you coast from 20 miles an hour down to a lower speed, and then you input a little bit of pedaling power and a little bit of motor power just to get you back up to 20 miles an hour, and then you coast again, 
Oddly enough, that's more efficient for most types of vehicles than it is to just maintaining a steady speed because that moment when you're coasting and not using any energy offsets the amount it took to accelerate up. And it's a little bit weird to think about. It's been tested and tested to death with the hypermiling. And personally, I believe that it works quite well on bicycles and electric bicycles too. This is one of the techniques that I implemented for that YouTube video today. I tested all of these things and tried them out to see what would happen on a fairly short ride if I do all of these things. Now, I've got one more that I need to share with you before I give you those results. We talked about tire pressure, possibly getting rid of some weight on the bike if you can, the lockout of the fork. You can take off slower or use pedaling power to get up to speed. You can do a pulse and glide technique, and you can also just ride a little bit slower overall. All of those things are going to give you a little bit more range. Now, a big one, once again, a technique item is making sure you're in the right gear. This is especially critical on a mid-drive, but it matters on hub motorbikes too. If you're not in the right gear on a mid-drive motor, let's say you're in a high gear and you're going up a hill. The motor doesn't like that. It's not very efficient. It's using a bunch of power to go at a speed that's not ideal. The motor has a certain RPM where it's going to be more efficient, and typically that's at the higher RPM range. So if you want to get up a hill using the least amount of power, you want to shift into a lower gear. If you want to be using the motor efficiently on a flat, you're going to shift into your middle range. And then downhill, you could shift into a higher gear or even better, if you can, just don't use the power at all on the downhill and just let the bike coast because then you're not using any power at all. So make sure you're in the right gear. Like I said, especially critical on a mid-drive bike. But it matters when you have a hub motor too because if you have a hub motor bike and you're pedaling along in the wrong gear, you're not using your leg power efficiently to propel the bike forward. So anything you can do to increase the efficiency of your pedaling is only going to extend your range as well. And there's all sorts of other things we could get into, but some of those cost money, they take other equipment, and just being in the right gear is something you can do today and something that you can start practicing right away. Now, that's seven things. There's plenty more that could be done, but what sort of difference could it make if we just work on these seven things. Now, technically, I didn't even do all seven because, like I said, I was using the Cheetah model, which is kind of a cruiser style, and it doesn't even have a suspension fork. So one of the items on this list, using a lockout, didn't even apply. Now, I do think that would be one of the smaller items, going to be a smaller change, but all of these add up. So what I did is I took the bike out for a ride this morning and it was just under six miles, but it was a ride from the shop to a specific point where there was little to no traffic and I could just go on a ride and not have to worry about too many variables. I wanted this to be as scientific as possible. And on the first ride, I just had fun. I used the throttle whenever I felt like it. I used whatever pedal assist setting 
I felt like I just pretended like I was just out on a normal ride, not worried about how far I was going to get, and just went for it. (laughs) I wasn't using full throttle. I was definitely pedaling. I was definitely getting some exercise. And then when I got back to the shop, I plugged the bike into a special charger I have. It's called a Cycle Satiator. These are available online at different places. And the reason I use that one is because I can track how much power we put back into the battery. That way I can see kind of an estimate of how much of the battery capacity did I use on that ride. So instead of going for a full ride where I have to ride until the battery actually dies, this way I can do a shorter ride and get kind of the same results and just extrapolate from there how far would I have gone if I drained the battery down all the way. And the result from that test on the initial ride was that I would have gone about 39 miles to drain the battery completely. And that's not bad. I was pretty impressed by that because I didn't feel like I was working that hard. It was fun. And that has a 48 volt, 17 amp hour battery, which is a pretty decent size, over 800 watt hours. And that test used 122 watt hours, which was about 15% of the battery's capacity. So by charging it up with that special battery, I was able to see here's how much power I used and kind of extrapolate from there. Like I said, how much range should I have gotten if I kept riding? But I didn't have the time to do one ride completely to dead, charge it up, and then do another one in the same day. So we did a couple of short rides instead. Then after the battery was fully charged, I took that same bike and I did remove some weight. Because in the first ride, like I said, I had those saddlebags completely full of extra tubes, more than anyone would ever realistically need. So I did that just to simulate what would it be like if I got rid of that extra grocery bag or whatever that I didn't need to be hauling around. And I pumped up the tires to 20 PSI. They were a bit low. They were under 15 PSI. I didn't notice when I went for that first ride. I honestly would have guessed they were a little bit higher than that. But I was trying to think about what would I normally do? I'd normally see that, well, they're not flat and just go ride and have fun, (laughs) which is exactly what I did. So I pumped up the tires. I removed a little bit of weight. And then I very, very purposefully thought about when am I using the power? How much power am I using? Am I using a lot of power from a start? Now, I didn't do this to the extreme to where I didn't have any fun. There were a couple of instances where I just wanted to go fast and I still went full throttle and had fun with it. But when I got back from that same 5.9 mile ride, same exact distance out and back that I did the first time, I used 91 watt hours from the battery instead of 122, which comes out to about 11% of the overall battery capacity. And if we do the math on that, based on our first result and the second result, the first one, like I said, was 39 miles estimated range. The second ride, I estimated I would have gone 53 miles. So 14 extra miles just by paying attention to the power a little bit more, slowing down just a little bit and increasing the tire pressure and getting rid of a little bit of extra weight I didn't need to be carrying around really, really simple to do. And guess what? At the end of that second ride, I had just as much fun as I did on the first ride. 
But I was thinking about it. It's like, wow, if I was going for a ride and it was, say, 20 miles out and 20 miles back, that first ride, I would be a little bit nervous. Am I going to make it back or am I going to have to pedal the last couple of miles? The whole time, I'd probably be thinking about that. But by implementing those few little tricks, then I know that I could get well over 50 miles and I could go for a 40-mile ride and not worry about it. You can slow down, you can relax, and know that you're going to make it. And that's what this is about, is just slowing down a little bit and trying to have fun. Because in my opinion, I know I've said this many times before, that's the best thing about electric bikes. They are a lot of fun. Now, in the future, I will probably do more things about the more technical side of if we do spend more money or any money at all, because these were free, mind you. What can we do to really maximize range on an electric bike? And I think that's a really interesting topic to explore. I have a bunch of different ways we could cover that from simple to where it still looks like a bicycle and it's a reasonable price for a few upgrades to increase our range to the extreme maximum range machine. And I have some theoretical ranges in my head that I would like to achieve on an electric bike that I just quite haven't had time to work on because we're trying to get all of our other production stuff up to speed and that's taking my time right now. But once things are a little bit more under control, be watching for that because I can't wait to go blow some of these range tests or even possibly records just completely out of the water. I'm really looking forward to that and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think the main thing I got to practice is sitting on a saddle on a bike for that many hours to make these things happen. Thanks again. I hope you learned something from this podcast episode and all of the other podcast episodes that have come out. Can't believe it's October of 2020 already as I'm recording this and that we started this podcast at the beginning of this year. It is just insane. Everything is just going crazy with electric bikes this year. And I'm glad that we have things like this podcast to just sit back and focus on what got Bolton e-bikes started, which is teaching people about electric bikes and letting them make smart decisions from there. So once again, thank you for listening. I hope you learned something. If you're new, make sure to go check out ebikepodcast.com. That's a sign-up form so you can get emails when new episodes come out. If you're looking for your first electric bike, then as always, make sure to go to boltonebikes.com. Now, I did mention a video about this as well. Of course, that's on the YouTube channel, and you can go check that out because it will be coming out next week. Now, I say next week based on when I'm recording that, so it's probably just in a couple of days. So if you don't see it out already, just be patient. It's probably this week's video. I hope that I can talk to you again next week. 